our text will be. Um, tonight, in our second Sunday of Advent, we're going to talk about John the Baptist a little bit. And uh, just to give you guys a little preview um, as we read this. Mark chapter 1, our sermon text tonight, is the first eight verses of the Gospel of Mark. Starting in verse 1, Mark writes, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized in the by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, so two weeks ago, we talked about Christ the King, right? Christ the King Sunday. And we talked about being thankful for the righteousness we find in Christ our King. And then last week, we asked the question, can I serve this King? Am I fit? Despite all my weaknesses, am I fit to serve this King? And we found in Scripture that, yes, Scripture teaches us that we have all we need to serve this King. And so then this week, the title of the sermon is Join With This King that we are thankful for a righteous king, and that we actually have all we need to serve this king, and that now we look at what it would be to join with this king. So, uh, let's do this. Um, for our message tonight, we look to the Gospel of Mark. And to give you a little background on the Gospel of Mark, um, we know who some of the others are, like John, you know, famous apostle, wrote his Gospel. Who was Mark? Uh, well, Mark was a scribe. He was a follower of Jesus. He would have been one of those like outside the 12, but one of maybe the other groups kind of scattered around. Um, and we think that he knew all of the Jews in Jerusalem really well, and that he probably talked with Peter um, and compiled this gospel from accounts of his own and, and things talking with Peter and the other disciples. Um, the gospel of Mark, if it, if you wanted a thesis for it, it's sort of the shortest gospel, which is why I kind of like it. It's very direct and to the point. Um, it's really good in a lot of ways. And the thesis is sort of like, who is Jesus? Mark's goal is to communicate to his reader who this Jesus is, right? Who Jesus, where he came from, what he taught, how he acted, so that his audience would know who Jesus is. And he even starts his, his text this way, he says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, right? So pay attention now, because this is the message of Jesus. And, and, and Mark not only was just written to those who, who would want to know who Jesus was, but probably also to a non-Jewish audience. Um, there's a lot of reason for this. It was written in Greek rather than Aramaic. Uh, he explains a lot of Jewish customs within his gospel that the other gospel writers don't do. Uh, there's lots of evidence for this if you want to look into that. Um, but that's just a little bit of background on Mark since we've been jumping around a little bit in recent weeks to different books, just so you know. Um, the whole goal is Mark is saying, who is Jesus? 
and it starts with John the Baptist. Uh, instead of adding anything about Jesus' birth, Mark just starts right out with John the Baptist because John the Baptist was such an important person for us to understand who Jesus was. And what we read here is, the, is the, the thing we hear each and every year from Isaiah, that he went and prepared the way, right? That John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. So, Mark writes then, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes, but if you have your Bible in front of you, you may notice so, sorry, I've heard someone say this is why we can't trust the Gospels. Because in the first verse of Mark, there's a problem. Or the second verse of Mark, there's a problem. He says, in the prophet Isaiah, but then he quotes Malachi. Um, so, if you were reading the Bible very critically, you would be like, hey, wait a minute, Mark, you just said this is Isaiah, but it's actually Malachi and Isaiah. He's combining two prophecies. Um, so, if you ever come across this, let me just say, I don't actually think Mark made a mistake. Um, Oftentimes in the ancient world, when people would quote two sources together, they would quote the larger or more well-known source of the two. So it's very likely he could have been doing that. But just in case you see that note in your Bible, if you go down and he says, as it says in the prophet Isaiah, Malachi. Wait, what? Um, it, I don't think it was a mistake. But either way, Mark writes out for his, his, his readers that the story of Jesus did not start with his birth. The story of Jesus started a long time ago. The story of Jesus started maybe six, seven hundred years. Well, really, it started at creation, but with these prophecies from the Old Testament. And, and what God is doing here through this guy, John the Baptist, is he is continuing what he was doing in the Old Testament. See, if you look in the Old Testament, starting out with, let's just say, the judges, the period of the judges, what did God do to correct his people when they went astray? He sent a messenger. He sent a leader. He sent a helper, right? All through the judges, he would send someone. And what does the scripture say? It says that the people were acting wickedly in, in, in God's eyes. And then this person came and then they acted righteously for 120 years. And then they forgot about God again, right? And then he would send another and another. And then he would send people like Samuel. And then he would send kings. And then he would send prophets. All throughout the Old Testament, God has been sending people to teach people to lead, to let them know what God would have them do. And so what he's doing here is not misquoting Malachi and Isaiah or getting all confused. What he's saying to his readers is this is what God has been doing all along and that God has been preparing his people to return to him. And that the one he's going to talk about is the one in Isaiah, the one calling in the wilderness, preparing a way for the Lord. And so now John the Baptist is in another long line of people. John the Baptist enters into another long line of people that God has sent for a very specific purpose, right? He wasn't just sort of a crazy person who came and started baptizing people conveniently before Jesus came. He wasn't just some person out in the wilderness who happened to coincide with Jesus. No, that this was planned and this was sent by God. And in fact, the, the, the word it uses there, the messenger, is the same word we have in the Bible for an angel, a heavenly being, right? That John the Baptist is a messenger for God. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. So, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness 
preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So this was John's message, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It, it, now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I had to reread it a few times. So wait, we have a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So is it the baptism that forgives me? Right? Do, do I need to be baptized to be forgiven? Or what is a baptism of repentance anyways? Is this something different than water? Like, how do we understand what, what, what John was talking about? It's sort of odd wording for us. Um, you know, does this mean that baptism forgives us of sins? Was John preaching somehow that maybe being baptized would forgive you of your sins? What does this mean? How do we interpret this? Um, to understand what John was doing, we actually have to sort of understand a little bit about the first century. Because to us, we have a very clear picture of what baptism is, right? Depending on the church you came from, it's either a baby sprinkling water while the pastor's holding it and it's crying and wiggling, right? Or maybe you come from a church that had big parties with immersion, you know, where someone gets dunked underwater, sometimes three times, you know? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, long hold, long pause, long pause, and then you pull them up, right? Those ones are super fun. Um, what is baptism? Actually, they had some understanding of this before Christ, and even before John the Baptist. We know that. Um, you know, many have equated it to ceremonial washing. If you read De Deuteronomy and Leviticus in the Old Testament, it talks about ceremonial washing that the Jews would do to help make them clean, right? But this was an Old Testament um, Jewish tradition. There's actually even more things that tell us about what baptism is um, in, the, in, in the first century. So, have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? You guys heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? This was a really, really important thing that happened in the middle of the 20th century. A Bedouin shepherd was out in the desert throwing rocks into caves. Uh, and this is true, this is how it happened. A Bedouin shepherd, a teenager, was throwing rocks into caves while his sheep were grazing, and he threw a rock into a cave and he heard pottery break. Thought, that's interesting. Went up and they found all of these clay containers holding scrolls near the Dead Sea the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it turns out that these scrolls were from a community called Qumran, or they were, the people were called the Essenes. And they were sort of a Jewish sect around the time of Jesus who lived outside of society, almost like monks. And they tried to live a really, really holy life, okay? And one of the reasons their, their stuff is so important is that we found in their scrolls, archeologists, not we, I, I wasn't part of the team, we as Christians have found many things that line up exactly with the Bible as we know it today. The, the prophecies from Isaiah and Ezekiel that are four or five, six hundred years before anything we had before that are almost word for word what we have. And so a lot of these texts were really, really important. One of these texts, though, that's really, really cool, it talks about their manual for living. And it's almost like religious rules and ordinances for their community. And one of them actually talks about baptism. So this is really, really cool. So I know this is sort of a weird introduction, but this is what it says, and it helps us understand, helps me understand John the Baptist. So this is what they said about baptism in the first century. For it is through the spirit of God's true counsel concerning the ways of man's that his sins be expiated or forgiven. And when flesh is sprinkled with purifying water, it shall be made clear by the humble submission of his soul to the precepts of God. Let me say that last sentence again. When his flesh is sprinkled with purifying water, it shall be made clear by the humble submission of his soul to all the precepts of God. So there was some understanding that when we go 
before God in humble submission. That baptism is an outward sign of our humble submission to God, right? So when John the Baptist went out preaching a baptism of repentance, the baptism was not the saving act. John was not saying, oh, be baptized and you'll be forgiven. What John was saying is if you are truly repentant of your sins, then be baptized as an outward sign of your repentance and your waywardness from God. This is revolutionary. John's teaching would have stood out in the first century because this is not what the Pharisees taught, right? This is not what the Pharisees taught. Basically, he is preaching that forgiveness of sins comes from your heart. Forgiveness of sins comes from God alone with your posture before God. Why was this so revolutionary? Remember, what was the world they lived in then? Through the law and through sacrifices, through ritual, only through ritual and sacrifice can you be forgiven. And people were under this system of thinking that there was one way for the forgiveness of sins and it had to be through sacrifice and the temple system and all of these other things. But, but let me just clarify that, that, that John was not against the law and the prophets. In the same way Jesus said in Matthew 5, you remember that? I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. John was preparing the way and preparing the hearts of the people to say, repentance in the posture of your heart is what matters. Isn't that amazing? Honestly, I've always been a little bit thrown off by John. Like, what was he actually doing out there? Right? What was he actually doing out in the desert with his camel hair and his eating bugs? Like, he was kind of a weird guy. But he quite literally was preparing the way for Jesus, preparing the hearts of the people to say, your heart and your posture before God is what matters. If you seek repentance for your sins, then your heart is what matters. And I want to I read for you. Um, I didn't plan on doing this, so my sermon will be an extra minute or two longer, but oh well. This is what he actually said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is from the Gospel of Luke. So John's out there proclaiming these things. <laughs> this is so good. And then when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out, all the, the rulers like, oh, we want to be baptized too. We see everyone's being baptized. We want to be baptized. This is what he said. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we, are, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now, the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Christ. So when people would come to him with an impure heart to be baptized, he would say, you don't get it. The point is, where is your heart before God? See, John was revolutionary because he preached, he began to prepare people's hearts for the same message Jesus would have. Do not think it is about ritual. Do not think it is only about sacrifice. It is about your heart. Because as we know, we can make all the sacrifices in the world. We can have a perfectly organized life of rituals. But if our heart is not in submission to God, then what do we have? What does Paul say? If I have all of these things but have not love, I am like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. And so, many people came to John and were baptized. 
And it famously mentions his clothes here, which besides him just having really good fashion sense, um, some scholars think it was meant to liken him to the prophet Elijah. But if you read John, the first chapter, they get confused anyways. They're like, wait, are you John? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? They didn't get it anyways. But what matters about this is what does this mean for us? For you and for me, we don't know John the Baptist. John the Baptist isn't coming around. Many of us have already been baptized, either as babies or as adults or whatever. What does this passage mean for us? Right? Verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's this great holy man leading people to repentance. And when he talks about Jesus, he says, I am not even worthy to be a servant to him. Because what I'm giving you is repentance, but what he's going to give you is something so much more. I can baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Spirit. John the Baptist came to sort of show us the first step. John the Baptist is a perfect illustration of what the first step is. When we feel lost, when we're not sure what to do next, when we, our paths are not straight. He says he came to make our path straight. When our paths are not straight and we feel lost and we're wandering, John the Baptist came to show us that first step. Repentance. That you and I, not just the followers back then, but that you and I, when we feel distance from God, when we feel estranged from Jesus, when we feel like there is no where to turn, he says that our first step is what is our heart posture before God? When you feel angry, when you feel sad, when you feel alone, what is your heart posture before God? And then if that's the case, then understand that what comes after that is the Holy Spirit. John 16, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate or the Spirit will not come to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Weeks, I don't even know when we talked about it. We talked about this passage before. But what Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit leads us in righteousness. That when we repent of our sin and have a proper heart posture before God, we are able to see the Spirit and what the Spirit would have us do. If you believe and you've repented of your sin, if you've given your very soul in submission to Jesus, then you have the gift of the Spirit. We talked about this last week. The Spirit gives us every single thing we need to serve this King, right? And the Holy Spirit also then helps us join with the work of the King as we go forward. To join with the work that John started, to join with the work that Jesus did, we are called to continue this mission. So let me ask you, what is your heart posture before God? If, if this is you, and if you are in humble submission before God, and you are seeking Him and seeking His Spirit, then we have the very power to work alongside this King in this world. You and I have the ability to carry out the mission of God here on earth, in Zurich, in your homes, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. John came to prepare for Christ's ministry, to prepare people's hearts. 
What is our job? See, when we talk about Advent, we light these candles. We have four weeks of Advent. And the purpose is not just to remember that Christ came, but to be prepared for what? Christ's return. We are here because Christ will return. We are doing this work to prepare the world for Christ's return. I know this sounds weird and apocalyptic. We're not trying to get like everyone in the doors before the asteroids start coming. That's not what I'm talking about. What we're trying to do is go outside of the doors of the church and bring the love of God to this world that they would know they have the same thing we have. That God offers them the same repentance. That God offers them the same renewal. That God offers them the same Holy Spirit. And so when we say we are preparing the world for his second coming, we're not being doomsday preachers. We're not... You know, telling the world is the world is going to end. There's these wonderful people sometimes you see in America that sit on the like street corners with bullhorns saying like the world is ending. Repent, repent. That's not us. Our job is to join with the work of God through the Holy Spirit, and that means going out and doing the things Jesus did. Read through the Gospel of Mark and look at what Jesus did. What did he do? He loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable. He laid his very life down. In that passage in Luke I was reading, it's really good, it's from Luke chapter three. After he yells at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says this, and the crowds came to him. What then should we do? And in reply he said, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone for threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is coming is more powerful than I, and I am not unworthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Our job hasn't changed. If we have two coats, we give to one who has none. We should be satisfied with our wages. We should go and love people, do the things Christ did. And in doing so, we join with the work of this holy king. We join with the work of the Holy Spirit being moving and active and loving in this world. That's what we're doing with Advent. We are remembering why Christ came. Not just that he came, but why he came. And so for you and for me this evening, let us remember that. Let us remember that Christ is alive and that Christ will return and that he came as a servant first to prepare the way. And so we now go out into the world as servants, joining with the work of our holy king through the power of the Holy Spirit to serve this world. Shall we pray? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. Lord, let us remember. Let us remember to repent. Let us remember to have a humble submission before you. Let us remember your Holy Spirit and the good things.
that it teaches us. And as we go, Father, let us have the courage to live life this way. Let us have the courage to give and be selfless. Let us have the courage to stand for what is right. God, make us strong. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.